0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Now, last week, before, almost before I'd even been asked to come and teach tonight, and uh, certainly before I knew what I was going to be preaching on, Pastor Scott announced that I'd be up here and bringing props, even though I didn't know what I was going to talk on. So I did bring props, there was pressure on me, and I've got pictures even. So I've got pictures and props, so I think i got everything covered. Uh, For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Clark Clemens, and I'm the pastor over Res Kids, which is the children's ministry here at Res Life for kids kindergarten through sixth grade. And I love teaching kids, but I also love teaching adults. So it's a great honor for me to be uh, here teaching in front of you uh, this evening. So before we get started, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much that we can come here into your house to glorify you, to worship you, and to learn from your word, and so, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide everything that happens here, Lord. Help me to do a really good job teaching. I pray, Lord, you'd help me not to, to forget anything, but, Lord, to deliver what you laid on my heart, and I pray also, Lord... We pray together that you would soften all of our hearts, that we would be open to hearing and receiving your word and then leaving here and doing it and putting it into practice. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence here tonight. In Jesus, your name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, I'd like to get warmed up a little bit by doing a little fill in the blank. So I'm going to give you some fairly famous phrases and then you fill in the last word or two. Okay, these are pretty basic, but again, just to get warmed up. So, um, first one is: is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Actions speak louder than right. We want to kill two birds with one stone, all right? And then the last one: imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, all right? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Now, in the verses that we're going to look at tonight which come to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In those chunk of verses, the Apostle Paul was writing to the brothers and sisters in Christ at a church in a town called Philippi, a city, and he was telling them, as we're going to find out, I want you to imitate Christ. Imitate Jesus. Be just like him. So if you've got your Bibles, then turn to Philippians chapter 2, We're going to start at verse verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, follow along on the screen with us. And for the most part, we're going to stay uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes or so, stay right in these chunk of verses, all right? I'm going to go back and forth, skip around a little bit, but this is where we're going to stay. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Let me read it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love... If any comfort, excuse me, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Like-minded. It's another way of saying imitate me, but imitate Christ in me. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you... To the interests of the others. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the same mind. Imitate him, is what it's saying. Verse 6. Who, and this is what we're supposed to imitate in him, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant The Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians, and he was saying, imitate Christ. Do what he is doing. Now, a lot of us, most everybody, has imitated or copied or wanted to be like somebody at some point in our life. As adults, it can be good and bad. So for instance, if you have maybe a mentor or someone that you really look up to as maybe a spiritual mentor, and maybe you're young in your faith, and you're looking to them, and you're kind of emulating them and asking them questions, and they're maybe what we'd call discipling, to use a kind of Christianese word, they're discipling you, that's, that's a good thing. You want to become a little more like them in the good way, or maybe at work. There's someone that you've been assigned to and you're young in your job and you're looking up to this person that is very talented, they're very gifted and you want to learn what they know. And you're gonna do a lot of things just like they do. In the negative sense, some of us can look at maybe our neighbors and be jealous or envious and say, I wanna be like them. I want a house big as big as they have. I want toys like he's got. And that's kind of uh, wanting to copy or emulate someone or imitate someone in a negative way. Kids do this all the time, and I see it in kids' ministry. Kids, little kids, will copy you as mom and dad or, or grandparents, they'll look up to you as they get a little bit older, maybe it's a little more looking to an older brother or sister or someone that's cool in the neighborhood, and they're always copying someone or wanna be like them, uh, or they see someone on TV or a sports figure. So when, when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school at, up until junior high, so seven or eight years at that At that age, seven or eight years is a long time, that was me. I wanted to be like this baseball player, okay? So my whole goal in life when I was young, my whole goal in life was to play baseball for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And my favorite player, a lot of you younger people have no idea who this is, a lot of you older guys, it'll show your age if you know who this is, but my favorite player who played for the Dodgers, his name was Steve Garvey. And I got a a picture. If you can show that first picture, Cassie. So Steve Garvey played first base for the L.A. Dodgers. And when I was growing up and I was younger, we lived over in uh, Flint, and there was a neighbor whose son went to Michigan State with Steve Garvey and knew him, and he would get me autographed stuff of him. And and the Tigers weren't very good when I was a kid either, right, like this year. So I wanted to, you know, as a kid, you you want to root for a team that's really good, and the Dodgers were really good. So I would get this stuff from Steve Garvey, and he signed this, And if you can read that, I don't know if you can read that or not, it says, To Clark, my best wishes, Steve Garvey. I had that in a red frame above my bed. I have posters of him. My family would even go to spring break down in Florida to Vero Beach, which is where the Dodgers had their spring training. And so here's a picture. uh, Get the next, uh, picture number two. And that's me when I was 13 years old and then my little sister, Cammie, and that's Steve Garvey right there. We got to meet him at spring training. And so I just—that's all I wanted to do—is play for the Dodgers. And so I walked around the neighborhood all summer long with my Dodger hat. Okay, and this is my hat now, so I still follow the Dodgers. And I had this. This is about dating myself. This is like 35 plus or minus years old, and it still kind of fits. But we got this out of storage. My wife put it in the wash yesterday. Not too bad, right? Not too bad little yellowed and stuff. But I was, I was serious about this dream I had. And so when I played baseball, I was pretty good. But uh, uh, when I learned how to, how to hit, I did it not the way I was taught, but I did it the way I saw Steve Garvey hit. And the way he hit, his batting, um, uh, the way he batted was not a way that you would normally teach a kid to bat. It really It wasn't very good. And it was quite uncomfortable but I didn't care because I was going to copy him. And so basically, he did something like this. He was very rigid. He, he, was, he batted right-handed. I'm left-handed. So, and then he would kind of chop the bat just like this. And he would look sideways just like this. And he would hold the bat with his thumb and forefinger up, which you usually don't teach kids to do. And he would do this. And he would just wait on the pitcher. And it was very uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable batting, but I did it anyways. Because I wanted to be just like him. I was copying him, imitating him. And so Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, and when he's writing really to us now, these many years later, he's telling us, imitate Christ. Be just like him. Do what he does. What's really interesting is that normally when I'm talking about this, about imitating Christ, or we may may have heard that before, usually you're thinking, do what he does, and we need to do that, right? He prayed for other people. He taught people. He valued kids. Um, We need to be like him in his actions, but these verses are a little different. This is the one place in the Bible where we actually can understand what Jesus was thinking, right? So when this is saying imitate him, it's actually saying imitate what Jesus is thinking, that he was making himself lower. He was making himself a servant. He was the God, the creator, the king, but he didn't grasp at that. He didn't throw his weight around. He made himself lower. That's what he was thinking when he was doing all these things, and you need to do the same thing, Philippians. Me and you need to do the same things, Paul would say to us. So, before we look at these and apply them to our own life, let me give you a little bit of a historical context, because it it helps a lot to understand why Paul was writing this to this particular people. So He wrote this letter to um, these brothers and sisters in Christ in a city called Philippi which meant the city of Philip. So there was a guy named Philip II, who was the dad of a guy named Alexander the Great, who was the the most powerful leader about 300, 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. And so they established this very important city, and then after a couple hundred years, the Romans took over and, and made it even more important. A lot of it was because of this location. It was right by the Aegean Sea. There was a lot of trade, and there was gold. There was gold in them, our hills. There was hills all around Philippi, and so there was wealth. And so what the Romans were doing was when uh, Roman soldiers and officers would retire, in order to reward them, they would give them land and places to live in certain towns, and Philippi was one of those. And so they would bless those guys, they would reward them, but also it provided security for uh, from attack for a very important place there was a, a highway a roman highway a road that you can still see in fact i've got some pictures if you can put all three of those pictures up cassie this is philippi today so it's it's a ruins but it was a very important city and the via ignatia was like a roman highway you could call it that ran from the orient which is the middle east today all the way up into europe and it passed through philippi and that, they had a huge theater, 20,000 people could fit in that theater. They had a marketplace. It was a, it was a wealthy place. And the, the most prominent thing about this city, Philippi, was that if you lived there, if you lived there, you were considered a Roman citizen. It was as if you were living in Rome itself. And at that time, in, in that place, in, in time in, in history, if you were a Roman citizen, you had rights rights that other people didn't have. You were different. You had rights, you had wealth, you had privilege. It was something everybody wanted to attain to. It was incredibly special and you wielded a lot of power. Right? You could say that the Philippians were the 1% in the world. Right? They were the 1%. They were the privilege. They had everything. And so when Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy showed up about 20 years after Jesus was crucified, they came into Philippi there were no Jews there there was no synagogue but they wanted to preach and they wanted to minister and outside the town they found a woman named Lydia who was a, a seller of purple cloth and she and the uh, the other friends that she had they became the core of that church in Philippi of people that were Roman citizens that were thoroughly Roman, those people dressed like the Romans, they lived like them, they spoke Latin, they were very proud of that. And that's the city that that Paul and his friends came into, and they established that church. And then Paul and his friends left, they got kicked out of the city, and they left and started other churches. And 10 years later, when Paul was in prison, he wrote this letter back to this church that was growing in Philippi, And it became the letter in our New Testament called Philippians. And these Philippian believers were being persecuted, probably by some of the same people that were messing with Paul and Silas and threw them into prison. And they were being persecuted, and even from within, they had certain Christians that wanted them to go back to Old Testament law. And they had other Christians saying, you know what, you can live for Christ, but you can serve these other gods, and you can do whatever you want with your body and still serve Christ. They had all these things coming at them, and it was into this this situation that Paul writes this letter all right so now let's read it again and let me kind of break it down a little bit a uh, little bit for you in light of what we just learned okay so philippians chapter 2 i'm going to start at verse 3 this time verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit don't be selfish don't be arrogant all right which is something that if you were from philippi you probably really were arrogant all right because you had everything you had it all Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Are you kidding? In a place like that, in the world at that time, when, when you had all these other conquered peoples and you were better than them and you were wealthier than them and you were smarter than them, Paul is saying, and value others above yourself and not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who be in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. A servant. So Paul was telling these Philippians, he's like, be like the servants and the slaves that are walking around serving all of you Romans in your city. Be like them. I mean, think, think how radical that was to those people. That's crazy, that, that's, that's the opposite of what we've been trying to attain to and grasp. That's the last thing we want to do. And then Paul continues, he writes in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to death, excuse me, obedient to death, even death on a cross. He throws that in there, on a cross. And at the, in the Roman world... That was the worst way you could be executed. And of all the ways, there's probably no good way to be executed, right? But that was the worst way because it was torturous and painful. But it's not even the physical pain that that people went through, but it was the shame. It was you were put up on a cross for everybody to see as a lesson to to everybody, to to that person and to everybody around you. Do not do what they did. Do not be like them. And Paul is telling these Philippians, you need to die to yourself that is radical countercultural it was the opposite diametrically opposed to everything those people stood for and yet paul is calling them to that he's calling them that he was saying a lot here you could do 10 sermons at least in these chunk of verses but i want to i want to focus on one thing cuz i want to really apply it to ourselves and one one of the things that paul wanted them to understand was that they needed to humble themselves and to do things god's way not their own way but God's way, not in their own power, not, not taking things by the, you know, the bull by the horns, not taking things into their own hands. He wanted them to humble themselves and do it the right way, which is God's way, which is the opposite of what they were always taught. Sounds a lot like us Americans, right? Independent, we, we, we take the bull by, by, by the horns. If we work hard enough, we can do this, we can do that. I can have it my way, you know, do it your way. You see commercials, everything tells us to do that. We're not that unlike these Romans, actually, when you really think about it. And, and how we live and, and what our thoughts are. And it's into this that Paul is calling all of us, not just them then, but us today, to something different. So, don't do things in your own power. So, now I've got an example, which is a good example for, uh, for this, these purposes, but it was a bad example for me. Uh, because I violated this principle of... of doing it God's way, and knowing that I needed to rely on him and his strength, and I violated it much to my own embarrassment and humiliation, and it has to do with when I first started out being a pastor. About 15 years ago, um, we had an internship program here, and I was one of the, the interns, and one of the things that we were in charge of at that time was baptisms, and we would have, one of us would be put in charge, would be the lead pastor in charge of it, and then there'd be an assistant pastor, not just in the tank, but beforehand, in, the, in the, um, the side room, this is when we were down in the old sanctuary, some of you might remember that, in the res center today, up in the wall, there's a rectangular window, and in that window um, behind it is, a, is the tank, and we would stand up there, and everybody would be out here watching us. You would have all the, the, the worship people standing, like, right below you. Sometimes they would get wet with the water splashing over the side. And so you had everybody watching, and so then, as a lead pastor, I would get in the tank, and I was in charge of saying the person's name and giving their quick testimony. And I just met these people, like, 15 minutes before, and sometimes we could have 30 people. And I had to remember their name and and pronounce it correctly, and then within, like, my own notes of, like, five words, try to remember what their brief testimony was, what God did in their heart, why were they getting baptized, and so... We would do this, and we were brand new. We weren't used to speaking in front of people, which which for me at that time was, was pretty terrifying in and of itself. So there's a lot of pressure on us. And um, and so um, about the second time that I did that, we got up in the tank, and people are coming down, and I'm reading their names, and I am starting to um, uh, talk about testimonies, and then the, the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody that's speaking in front of people happened to me. Now... That afternoon, let me back up, that afternoon, my family and I had been invited over to uh, a family's house that had a pool, and there was a pool party with other families, and uh, it was in July, it was warm, it was nice, and I lost track of time, and so by the time I realized I needed to get back to church, because I was in charge of doing the baptisms that night, it was running pretty late. I was cutting it really close. But I'm driving in and I'm thinking, you know what? I've done this before. I can do it again. I don't I don't have time to pray. I don't need to to you know really make sure that that you know the Holy Spirit's working in me and, and helping me to have peace because I'm kind of nervous. I, I don't need all that. I can do I can do this. And so we went through the whole process and got everybody ready. And we get up in the tank, people are coming down into the tank. I baptized about I don't know, I think it was about 20, 22 people. I baptized about 15 of them, almost done. And I say a guy's name, say testimony, and I turn to him, and I totally blanked out. In the easiest part of any baptism, where I'm supposed to say, by your profession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we dunk them. I forgot. I forgot what to say. I blanked out on the Trinity, of all things, Right? And, and, and I didn't know what to say and I stumbled over my words and uh, Ron, Pastor Ron, was looking at me like he didn't know what to do. And I remember, Pastor, I remember Pastor Bobby at that time, some of you remember him, was overseeing interns. He was looking at me like he wanted to wring my neck. And I had forgotten, I could not remember for the life of me and I babbled something out and we just threw the person down real quick and got him out and got him out and up the stairs and another person's coming down. So now the next person's coming down and as I'm reading their name and as words are coming out of, out of my mouth about what their testimony is, I'm racking my brain. What am I supposed to say? I can't remember this. And and three times that happened in a row. And it was so embarrassing. I wanted to just crawl into the tank and just and just disappear. For whatever reason, after the, I think it was the last person got in there, it, it just came back again. But the damage had been done, and it was very embarrassing. The next day at church, I was like, I went into Pastor Bobby's office and apologized, but it was really humiliating. But it was all because I was gonna do it on my own, in my own power. I was violating one of these things that are so basic in the Bible, is don't do it your way, do it God's way. Now, that's kind of embarrassing, kind of humiliating, but there's a lot of other situations that you may be up against today that are more serious than, than that, you may have a, a relationship, and, and, uh, and someone wronged you, someone really hurt, hurt you. It could have been a spouse, or maybe your brother or sister, or maybe even one of your kids, and they said something, and you really want to get back at them, and you're trying to get back. Maybe you're cutting them off from your life. Or the opposite. You're, you're, you're ripping them up and down with people that you know. You're talking behind their back. You're assassinating their character. You're putting stuff up on Facebook or retweeting uh, stuff about them. I mean, you're, you're trying to tear them apart because you're taking it into your own hands. You want to get back at them, you want them to pay. Or maybe it's at work. You, you really want to move up the ladder, but your way, the best way you know how to move up the ladder is by stepping on other people on the way up. Or to to get a promotion or to be seen by others, you want to disparage or put down your coworkers so that you can look better in comparison. You're taking things into your own hands, doing it your own way. It could be even something like prayer. When, when, When you pray, the very act of praying is showing that you're doing it God's way. You're humbling yourself so that he can move in your life. The very act of not praying is saying to God by your actions, I don't need you. That's, that's precisely what I did. And, if, and if, if you're not praying and spending time with him, especially as a Christian, you may not have even thought about this, but it's like you're turning your back on him and saying, I really don't need you. I don't need your power. I can do it in my own way. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what Paul was telling those Philippians. He was saying, do the opposite. He tells us to do the opposite. But let's, let's look at something here. Go back to those, those verses, Philippians chapter 2. And if you can put up uh, verse 9, start at verse 9. So, again, the first verses that I was reading, he was talking about humbling himself, being a servant, right, laying his life down, dying for us. But then this, these next three verses, verse 9 says, therefore, so you look at what, hap- what, what was written in the Bible before that, all right? It says, because he humbled himself, because he was a servant, therefore, that because of that stuff, God exalted him. To the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul was saying is that when you lower yourself, then God's going to raise you up. That when you don't do it your way and do it God's way, it'll end up working out better than you could have ever imagined. All right. So let me do a um, a little. Uh, thing with my hands, I guess, it's like an a, a, a invisible diagram, okay? So a lot, of, a lot of us think we can do things on our own, whatever situation it may be, everyone's dealing with a different situation, think about what it may be in your life, but I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to get it done in the way that I know how, and I, I'm not going to consult God on it, right? I'm going to go it alone. When God is saying, I've got a plan and purpose for your life, and it's amazing and awesome, and, and you could never imagine what it is, it's like, here, So you're thinking you're doing pretty good, but you're missing out on up here because this is what God has for you. It may not be what you think you want. It may not be in your timing, but it's what God has in God's timing and his plan and purpose, and it's here. But the problem is, is for most of us, when we do it our way, we're not even here. We're like here. When we do it our way, when we handle situations in the way that we think is best, not God's way, then we have heartache and misery and destruction of Physical, financial, emotional destruction. We should be here, following God's way, letting him do it his way. All right, and here's, here's some other verses. It's all throughout the Bible when you, when you start digging into this. James chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time according to his timing. John 3, at verse 30. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, famous guy. Even he said, he must be greater, I must become less. And then Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It means do what I'm doing. Be like me, serve others. Go low with me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. So... How do you do that? Let me get a little bit practical and we're gonna start wrapping things up here. How do you do that? The first thing is you make a choice to do it. You make a choice. You say, you know what? Whatever your situation is, whatever it may be for you, you gotta say, you know what? I gotta stop this. I gotta do it God's way. Whatever whatever I gotta do, I'm gonna do it the right way, God's way, because that's the the only way to do it and I wanna be blessed. I want my family blessed. I want my job blessed. I want my finances blessed. I want our health blessed. I need to do it God's way. So back to those verses in Philippians chapter 2. If you look at verse 6, Philippians 2, 6, it says, Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't consider it. He could have considered it. These, these words are saying he could have, but he did not. He did not consider equality with God something he wanted to go after. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing. He could have made himself something. He was the king. He was the creator, but he chose to make himself nothing. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He did it. He made the choice. He didn't have to do that. He's he's the son of God, but he did that anyways. He made the choice. Make the choice in your own life, in whatever situations that you're dealing with, make the choice to do that. Make that choice. And then secondly, is pray. So make the choice, and then pray. So if, if um, some of you that are in Res Kids or have heard me teach enough, you know that almost every single one of my ending points is pray, because it's so fundamental. You have to pray. To do anything, you got to pray. And like I said before, the very act of praying is humbling yourself before God and telling him with your words and by your actions that you need him. You need his Holy Spirit to fill you, you need his strength to help you to do what you need to do. And that one verse, it's, it's uh, verse 8 where it talks about dying, that Jesus died uh, for us. He served us and he died for us, even death on the cross. That's important for us too because a lot of the decisions that you're going to need to make to follow God and do it his way are very painful. They are really, they may, they may they, you may know, you may be sitting here right now and you know for me to do it God's way I'm going to have to go to somebody and apologize. And and every fiber of my being does not want to do that. But you know that might be what God's calling you to do. That's painful. That's not easy. I mean, I can sit here and preach this, but in reality, uh, tomorrow, on Thursday or Friday, when when you're thinking about trying to do that, it's hard. you got to pray. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do stuff like that. Maybe, maybe it's going to someone and admitting that you were cutting corners or even doing something you shouldn't have been doing. And you don't know what the consequences are going to be of that. But you know that that's what God would want you to do if you're going to do it his way. That is hard stuff. You cannot do things like that. You cannot follow God's heart and his way unless you're in prayer unless you're bowing your knee before him. And if you already pray, then, then intentionally start praying a little bit more. If you're not praying at all, which, which a lot of people don't, then just, just start a few minutes every day, intentionally say, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna spend five minutes, I'm gonna get on my knees, even physically show God that I'm bowing down to him and I wanna, I wanna do it his way, I wanna be like him, I'm gonna humble myself, even doing that. And then just add a few minutes and add a few minutes. It's not about legalism. It's about getting close to Christ and being filled with his spirit. So make the choice to let go and then pray and spend time with him. Now, this is my challenge. I'm going to challenge you on, on, in two ways. First of all, one way is, is right here, right now. I'm going to ask if you would think for a, few, for a few moments about what situations are in your life right now where you'd say, you know what? I've been, I've been doing things my own way, making my own decisions I've been manipulating or I've been finagling something or I've been doing things that, you know, I need to do better. I need to let God take control of my life. I want you to think about those things for a minute because then we're going to pray in a moment, okay? So just take a few moments, if it's one thing or a couple of things, and just think, what is it in my life? If you're really honest with yourself, what is it that I need to turn over to God and let him do amazing work in my life in? Okay, now, I would just like you, on your own, to just pray. Just talk to God, talk to Jesus, like he's your best friend as I teach the kids, and and tell him, I want to get rid of this. I want to do it your way. I don't want to do this my way anymore. It's just you and the Lord right now. You, You and the Lord, just for another few minutes again, and give that thing over to him. Say, take it. Take it, Lord. I want to do it your way. I want to to walk out of here not having this burden anymore. I want to rest. I want peace. Even if it's hard, even if it's painful, I want peace and rest, and I want your Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do it your way. So just pray right now, just on your own. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much, that you laid your life down for every single one of us, to to the ultimate act of service and sacrifice. And Lord, you're calling us to do the same thing. But when we do, then we will be raised up with you. Lord, help every single one of us in whatever situations we're facing to lose ourselves so that we can find ourselves in you. Help us, Lord, to to give up on our own reputation and name so that we can have your name, the name that is above every name, that we can be in you. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you bless every single person that's here and, and give them the desires of their heart and help them in the tough decisions they need to make and lead and guide them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's the first thing I want to challenge you to do, which we just did it. And, if, and <clears throat> if you're like me, when I was in church listening to something like this, I would want to go home over the next couple days and really think through this thing and really pray and really process it for myself. That's very natural, at least for me. So I want to encourage you to do that. And secondly, though, secondly, is I want to challenge you over these, these days that we've been fasting and praying in January, to look at the calendar and say, you know what, I got 18 days from now until February 1st. There's, there's Sunday, January 31st, and then February 1st is a Monday. In 18 days, I wanna challenge you to get close to Jesus. Start praying. If you've been doing it, then keep doing it. But if, if you haven't, now is the time to start. You're kicking the year off, 2016. And you'll see some amazing things when you start doing some of those very simple things, is start praying and get with him and ask him to fill you and empower you. And then the last thing, the last chunk of those verses I want to hit on, and then we're done. Verse eight. Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the gospel. Paul is talking about the gospel where Jesus served us by dying for us in the greatest act of love anybody could do for someone else, laying their life down, and he did that for us, but he didn't have to. We were the ones that should have been punished for our sins and our disobedience and turning our back on God, but it was him, Jesus, who had our sins put upon him, and he was punished instead of us. He took our place. He was our substitute. In the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament said that the punishment that was upon him brought us healing. And by his stripes, by his blood, by his death, we are healed. We are forgiven. We are set free. We have eternal life. Do you know that? Are you sitting here and you know that? Because just as I said, the very act of praying or not praying tells God, whether you're dependent on him or not, so is the very act of asking God to forgive you of your sins and acknowledging, you know what? He did die for me, and I'm the one that deserved it, not him. The very act of acknowledging that and asking God to forgive you is showing him you're doing it his way. You're humbling yourself, and if God is doing something in your heart right now, we would love to pray with you. If he is drawing you to himself Maybe even before you came in here, maybe it's been all week God's been working in you. And and now even here, we would love to pray with you and just acknowledge that he is your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He died for you. And when you ask for forgiveness, the Bible gives a promise to all of us that he does forgive us. He cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. If that's you, if you want to pray with all of us, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up in the air where I can see it, and then we're going to pray. Is there anybody here? You would say, that's me. I want to pray right now. I want to know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here? I'd say, like, today is the day of salvation. Back there. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else here? I'll give you a few more minutes. Okay, awesome. Well, we're going to all pray this together. And I've asked everybody that's watching online, pray this even at home, and you're just saying, I love you, Jesus, and I know what you did for me, and I want to follow you. I want to do it your way. Let's pray. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Say this after me. Say, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins, and I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins. And I choose today to do my best to love you and to follow you and to do things your way for the rest of my life. In Jesus, your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.